Welcome to our Jackson home. I'm uh, Kevin Adelsberger, your host this week, and I'm sitting here with uh, my friend Shannon Stewart, and we're going to get to interviewing her. Shannon is the executive director of CASA, uh, Madison County CASA, and full disclosure, I am on the board, so I'm slightly biased. <laughs> but welcome to our front porch, Shannon. Glad to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. Um, Shannon, let's start by talking about um, who you are, uh, and you're a very interesting person. <laughs> Thank um, you. All of a sudden, example, I feel really nervous. <laughs> for example, uh, you uh, dye your hair red every fall. I do. Um, and I'm not sure if that's to blend in with the foliage, <laughs> but uh, and so you can see those pictures on ourjackshome.com. But uh, so, Shannon, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, and, and uh, so we can get to know you a little bit better. Um, well, I, I'm actually a Kentucky girl. So um, I'm actually a normal person, except during um, NCAA basketball season, <laughs> and then I act like a crazy person. Um, and so I grew up in Paducah, Kentucky, just two hours north of here. Yeah, which is pretty close to where I'm from originally. Exactly. And um, I came to Jackson, and for people who are good at math, they'll be able to figure out how old I am, <laughs> <laughs> which it would take me probably the whole length of this podcast to do the math. but. Yeah. Um, I um, came to Jackson in 1994 to go to Union University, mm-hmm. um, met my husband, John, there. He's originally from Tupelo, Mississippi, okay. um, and we met at Union, got married, moved to Memphis. He went to school. Um, he got a job in Jackson after he graduated mm-hmm. from law school. He works here in Jackson um, at a firm, and um, we have four kids. It's kind of Sometimes I have to catch my breath when I say that out loud. We have four kids. Um, we have Sammy, who's 14, and we have Carly Hayes, who's eight. Um, Sammy's in eighth grade. Carly Hayes is in third grade. And then we have Stella and Addie, who are our twins, who are six, and they're in kindergarten. And something interesting about that is, don't they go to, like, four different schools? Um, three. Three different four schools. Four girls. Last year. Last year. Last year it was four girls, four schools. This year it's... Three, it's four girls, three schools. Okay. But I have an amazing, better. amazing carpool partner who yeah. makes it all happen. Absolutely. So, so you came to came to Jackson for union, like yes. a lot of uh, a lot of us did. Um, and and your husband's an attorney in town. What uh, what do you love about the city of Jackson? Why did you guys did you guys? I'm sure there might have been other offers for him when he graduated. Why did y'all choose I'm sure there, I'm sure there were other offers, but this is kind of how it went down. I did not like living in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, growing up in Paducah and moving to Jackson, I mean, I lived the first 18 years of my life in the same hometown. Mm-hmm. So I went to church with the same people my entire life. I mean, I, I, that's all I knew. And so I came to Jackson, and I felt like that Jackson— was was sort of the same as Paducah, except mm-hmm. for Jackson had colleges. Mm-hmm. That's really, and Paducah has a river. I mean, we have the Fork of Deer River here. <laughs> not not really the not same. Not the same as the Ohio River. Um, but essentially, they were this to me. They were like the same town, the same size. Um, and so when we moved to Memphis, I just felt like a stranger, and mm-hmm. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I liked. I mean, my daddy grew up in the same town that I grew up in. So you know everybody. So I know everybody. And so when we, you know, when you're a student at Union, you are introduced to a lot of things. And one of the things I was introduced to was just the greatness of the city. 
Um, I have fond memories of driving down Highland Avenue with my sorority sisters acting ridiculous, going to the NAI basketball tournament at the Omen Arena. Mm-hmm. And that was just something that you did. And mm-hmm. um, I remember when cool coffee shops opened downtown and we were so excited that they were somewhere cool to hang out. You know, <laughs> um, that was the 90s, folks. It's not, you know, Jackson's come a long, long way since mm-hmm. then. Um, but I told John, I was like, look, I'm moving back to Jackson. A lot of our friends who might have, um, a lot of our friends that we were friends with in college either stayed in Jackson or they went to school like John did in another city mm-hmm. or moved away to take another job in another city. But everybody was kind of making this exodus back to Jackson at mm-hmm. the same time. My brother and his wife had got married the year after we did. They had moved to Memphis for my sister-in-law to go to school. They mm-hmm. had moved back to Jackson. And so I was like, look, I hope you get a job in Jackson <laughs> because I'm moving back there. <laughs> In fact, um, in December, before he graduated the next May, um, I, we moved back to Jackson. So his last semester oh, wow. of law school, he commuted to Memphis. So quite a drive every day. Mm-hmm. Um, he and another friend of his, his um, friend, John York, um, who's still, he and his wife are great friends of ours still today. Mm-hmm. His wife is the one who dyes my hair red. Okay. So. Um, but... Um, <clears throat> he and John drove back and forth mm. every day to Memphis because gotcha. John had moved back home to Jackson too. So um, he's an interesting person. You might, we should have him on the podcast. Well, sometime. he might be a little biased. But, no, uh, he's very interesting. I bet he is. Any kind no, of not his? my husband. Oh, not your John husband. York. The oh, other John. Okay. I don't know John York. Oh, uh, I know Abraham Lincoln, also known <laughs> as your husband. Yes. Um, for those of you who don't know John Stewart, uh, he kind of looks like Abraham Lincoln. Yes. Um, so Shannon, uh, well, I did the same kind of thing. I graduated and I was like, I want to move back to Jackson. And we hope that our Jackson home can help um, make that feeling more real for more people and help keep people from moving to all the, the big cities around. What are some, some can you tell, tell me about some more of your community? I know you're very, obviously you're a director of a nonprofit in town, which instantly means you're involved in the community, but you're involved in the community in other ways. Sure. Um, what, what are some of those other ways? Well, um, one of the really cool things is John and I are um, members of All Saints Anglican Church. Um, mm-hmm. And so our church is very active in the community. I mean, you if you sit in the pew, well, we don't have pews at our church. That sounds really weird. But um, if you sit in our church congregation on Sunday morning, you look around, there's other directors of nonprofits in our community. There are people who serve on boards for nonprofits. Mm-hmm. There are people who work for nonprofits. And so we're fortunate in our tiny congregation to have people who are daily out doing the work of the community. Mm-hmm. And so coming, coming in contact with people. Um, when, when I first started getting involved in the nonprofit community in Jackson, CASA was really the first nonprofit I was really involved with. Mm-hmm. Um but my husband actually served on the board of Area Relief Ministries and has, he served on the board previously. And then when we started having all of our children, he needed to take a break. And <laughs> so he just recently in the last year came back on their board. And um, my girls and I spent, and John was out there with, we all, our, our family of six did trunk or treat um, at the Hub Club in Hillcrest Circle last Thursday. And that's something that we do every year. We enjoy um, going out there. I think the work um, that, the folks at Area Relief Ministries, I've seen, I've seen it come to fruition. Like I've seen, I've sat around a table with Lisa Peoples and Andrea Hudgens, seeing them dream about what an, a true community center could be, mm-hmm. and I see it, and it's a beautiful thing to see it to come to fruition, and to watch your friends do it. Yeah, uh, so I think that's a great. 
great point. And so Lisa, if you're listening to this, give me a, send me an email and we'll set up a podcast with yeah. you really soon. Because I think, I mean, and that, that's something um, in the Remedy Inn, which the new season of Remedy Inn starts this this week, mm-hmm. this next week. And, um, you know, 10 years ago, well, it wasn't quite 10 years ago, but um, John, John and I were involved um, with the beginning of Room in the End. Mm-hmm. So it's just been cool to be able to see, um, you know, just different people come together in this community and say, we have a need. We don't, we, we have homeless people sleeping um, behind the amphitheater at the Casey Jones village. We have mm-hmm. homeless people sleeping under underpasses and my husband's office is downtown and we would see homeless people all the time. Yeah. So we just started asking questions and, you know, how can we, how can we meet the needs of the people in this community? So that, you know, area relief is something that's really, um, our family's very much involved. My 14-year-old daughter goes there some during the week in the afternoons and volunteers at the Hub Club. That's awesome. Um, and so that's just something that we do. Um, I serve at the Rifa Soup Kitchen. I, I love to do that. Mm-hmm. I was telling um, some ladies this morning in my Bible study that serving someone a meal is actually a way that for me, I can be the physical hands and feet of Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. when Jesus was here on earth, he fed people not only spiritually, but physically. And, you know, standing across from someone and offering a good morning or a good afternoon to them and giving them a cold glass of lemonade or tea and serving them a meal is a way to provide dignity to them, but also just to show them you're cared for, you're loved, um, and, you know, I want to help you. Absolutely. Well, there's uh, very few people that I know that are as involved in the community as the stewards. (laughs) And as a Jacksonian, I'm thankful for that. Um, We're going to head into our first break. When we come back, you're going to get to tell us all about CASA. Okay, good. So uh, this is our Jackson home, and we'll see you after the break. And we're back to the R. Jackson Home Podcast, and I'm here with Shannon Stewart, the Executive Director of Madison County CASA. And Shannon, I know this is going to be painful for you, but I need you to tell, help us understand what CASA is. Because a lot of people, uh, and, and I sometimes, it's easy to forget over time as well, uh, it has nothing to do with the house. No. Uh, so it's kind of a misnomer on the thing. But uh, what is what does CASA do in our community? Uh, help us understand that. Okay. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. So basically what we do is we are advocates in the juvenile court system here in Madison County for abused and neglected children. Um, and some people are like, well, who are these kids? Are these kids that we read about in the newspaper who are getting in trouble? No. Um, these are kids that are in the court system because of something that has been done to them, not because of something that they've done. For example, um, kids who are removed um, from their parents' homes by the Department of Children's Services because of drug exposure, um, because of um, unsanitary living conditions, no utilities, no food. Um, so the majority of the children that we work with are in um, foster care. 
if they're not in foster care, they've been removed from their from their parents and placed with a family member or with a neighbor or a cousin, grandmother, somebody. Um, but most of them are in foster care. We do sometimes um, operate outside of the realm of um, of the abused and neglected children just because Judge Little really likes us. <laughs> and she thinks that the work that our... Um, that we do is, is done well. And what a lot of people don't understand is all the work that we do um, is done by our volunteer advocates. So I'm not the one that's going to the home and sitting down with the foster parents and the kids. It's one of our um, trained volunteers. So a volunteer will give up. I mean, that sounds like a really involved process to do that. I mean, how much time does a volunteer usually give? Well, um, it's usually... If it's just, if, okay, if it's a normal case, and I'm using air quotes. Yeah, you can't see this on the podcast, <laughs> but she's having a friend's moment, and this is a quote. Yes. Or a bunny, um, a bunny quote. As my, as my daughter Addie would say, slash. Every time she uses air quotes, she says, slash. She knows that's not what it means, right? No, but okay. she, calls, she calls air quotes slash. <laughs> so um, that's kind of a little inside joke with our family. Um, but... Um, what was I saying about Kevin? About it's how much so time involved? Oh, yeah. A normal case mm-hmm. is like maybe six hours, seven hours, eight hours a month. Over a month. So. Over a month. Yeah. And and maybe one of those hours might be just having um, a couple of phone conversations with the DCS worker. Mm-hmm. Maybe just saying, hey, just going to you know get an update from you. Or um, a lot of things now, and it's kind of neat to see how... CASA has evolved over the last 10 years because I've been involved with the program um, in one capacity or another for the last 10 years. And so, like, where it used to, you'd have to pick up the phone or, like, you know, go to the DCS office to talk to a DCS worker. Mm -hmm. DCS people and and DCS workers are state employees. They use an email, and they will email you, um, and and they will respond to our volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, So a CASA volunteer spends somewhere between 8 and 10 hours a month. And if it's a case in crisis, it's really not any more than like 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people are like, gosh, that's a lot of time. But the reality is, is that when you realize that you are gathering information for the court to make recommendations to Judge Little about what needs to happen with this child, like, I mean, I'm willing to give up 15 hours of my time. Yeah. How does the court, I mean, it's just... Explain the role of the court's authority in this and why does the court pay so much attention to what these people say? Sure. Um, well, partially because, you know, as as uh, CASA, we're a, we, I tell people we work at the pleasure of the court. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we're not court employees, so we don't work for the judge. We don't work for the clerk. Um, we work for the kids. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, our priority is the kids. Um, and the majority of the time, we, we are working hand in hand, you know, like it's a beautiful picture. Everybody's sitting around a table holding hands, singing Kumbaya, working for the betterment of the children mm-hmm. with DCS, with the court, with the attorneys, with maybe the school teacher, the school counselor. Um, in a perfect world, all of those people are sitting around the table and having a conversation about what needs to happen to this child. Yeah. But I can tell you, in 10 years of doing this work, in fact, I was in court this afternoon right before I came to meet you. Um, Judge Little will look at our court report because we she appoints us to cases when they come before her for the first time mm-hmm. or maybe the second time. 
Um, and then we appoint uh, myself and my um, coworker Dayton Brown. She's our case and volunteer manager. We appoint the cases to our volunteers, and we try to match volunteers to cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when that case comes back to court, we present a report to the judge. Judge Little, well, nine times out of ten, will turn to the last page of our report, and the last paragraph of our report says. CASA recommends, and mm-hmm. we'll do a bullet point of the recommendations that we mm-hmm. make. And she usually is pretty much in line um, with our recommendations. Um, there's a lot of things that CASA volunteers find out that other people who are working on the case don't find out. And it's mm-hmm. not because we're like these awesome investigators and yeah. that the FBI should <laughs> hire us to do their work. It's just that because we're, we're people consider us a neutral party. And I think that's what makes the work we do so beautiful mm-hmm. is that you know, DCS people, I have dear friends who are DCS workers and who have worked for DCS for 15 or 20 years. Um, it's not that they don't have the best interest of the children at heart, because I think the majority of them do. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is, is that they have all of this red tape and paperwork and protocol and all that they have to follow. Absolutely. Yeah. Costs we have to follow a protocol. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we can't just go in there and like throw people under the bus and be like, you know, whatever. And we can't, we're not the police, so we don't investigate the yeah. cases as far as like, you know, that is concerned. But we talk to the investigators about what's going on mm-hmm. with the children. You know, if there were, if the child was a victim of sexual abuse, um, we work with their counselor and we talk to their counselor about what's going on with them and what they found out maybe in their forensic interview. And we talk with, um, we work very closely with the sheriff's department and um, the police department and their investigators um, who who investigate crimes against children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, ha- I have those folks on my, I mean, like on my speed dial. Yeah. Um, in fact, I had a conversation with Investigator Danielle Jones from the Jackson Police Department just this morning about mm-hmm. a case, just to see if there was any new information. Um, so we present that information to the judge and we say, we feel like this is the best interest of the child. Yeah. There's no one else in that courtroom who's doing that. I mean, ultimately the parents should have the child's best interest at heart, mm-hmm. but they're the ones who the child was removed from. Yeah. And so they made some bad decisions that got them there. And so they have their own thing that they're working out. So, absolutely. and the parents have attorneys. The children are appointed guardian ad litem attorneys. Mm -hmm. And that attorney has to represent that child in court. But I don't know. I just feel like CASAs are, like, we're the loudest voice for the children Mm -hmm. in court. And, I mean, people who know me know I don't have a problem speaking up and saying what I think or I feel. Really? Yes. (laughs) Well, the beautiful thing is sometimes when people volunteer, they do some manual labor or they do some things and, and it's really easy. It's very important for those organizations, but it's sometimes easy to forget how much value that has. But when you do something as clearly uh, life changing and respected in the court's eyes as something as a cost of volunteer, it's really quite significant. Which is why I'm still doing this 10 years later. Yeah. I mean, I, I became a CASA volunteer in 2005. I read an article in the Jackson Sun mm-hmm. about um, CASA needing volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through the training. I got sworn in. I took my first case. And, like, it, I, I honestly, like, I remember going home and telling John, this was before we had our kids. I remember telling him, this is what God made me to do. Like this, mm-hmm. this is what I was created to do. And I remember telling my dad, my dad was like, finally, somebody's going to listen to you when you talk, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, it, and I think about how, like when I started out at union, 
my degree is in communications. Like I really thought that I was going to be a television or a radio newscaster. Mm. Yeah. I thought that, <laughs> but then I realized that in order to do that, like you can't, we were talking about this before we pushed the record button on the <laughs> podcast today about how when you, you, you have to be like, I can't, I can't sit at, at the news desk and say, well, that's a load of crap. Like, you know, like I can't say that. I yeah. can't just put my own little personal spin on it. Yeah. And uh, I just, I just didn't really feel like that mm-hmm. I could do that. I feel like, you know, I mean, God's given me this ability to be, I may not always be the most well-spoken person. And sometimes I have a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> and so, but I think that, um, that you know, that, that, this 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 job is where I, I mean this is my sweet spot mm-hmm. because I can be a voice for people who don't have one, mm-hmm. um, and so it's it, it it's a beautiful thing. And um, you know, next year um, Casa will be um, twenty years old in Jackson, and yeah. so we've been serving children in Jackson, Madison County. So we took our first case. We were chartered in 1996, but we took our first case and started serving kids in 1997. Mm-hmm. So this time next year, be on the lookout. We're planning a big yeah. party. Absolutely. It's be fun. Um, Shannon, we're going to head into a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about an amazing success story that uh, Madison County Casa has had and how people can support. So, so sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson home. Welcome back to Our Jackson Home. I'm here with Shannon Stewart, the Executive Director of Madison County CASA. And so far, we've learned a little bit more about Shannon and her family, their involvement in the community, what CASA does. Uh, and now we'd like to, I'd like her to kind of talk about an example of that work, um, which we had an amazing case this year that uh, really a CASA was institute in uh I forgot the word. Instrumental. Instrumental. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> uh, instrumental in per, like permanently changing the lives of five children. So, uh, Shannon. Okay. Well, um, gosh, it's it's really hard to even think about where to start on this case. Um, but five kids. Well, initially it was just three. Mm-hmm. Um, Judge Little appointed us to a case of um, three kids, a little girl, um, and then um, two boy twins. I was like, wow, okay, that mom had her hands full. And mm-hmm. they had some issues, drug issues and, and some and the, some the parents. The parents, biological parents. Mm-hmm. Um, had some criminal charges pending, um, I think in circuit court. And so when that case came before Judge Little DCS had removed the children, they were in a foster home. Judge Little was like, we're gonna need CASA on this case. And so um, we appointed Miss Pat Patrick, one of our CASA volunteers, to the case. And Miss Pat went right out visited the kids look she oh my gosh i mean miss pat is like she's like a grand she is a grandmother <laughs> but um she um runs runs a, a clinic and she is a medical professional mm-hmm. she does drug testing and um you know for work uh like a, if you went to go work at like say carlisle tire mm-hmm. you would have to go take her drug test and your whatever. So she, she runs a clinic. Mm-hmm. And, um, so she knows all about drugs and, and 
the dangers that they cause children. And, and she, she, that's how she first came in contact with CASA is um, she had met some kids who were um, in DCS custody. She had done hair follicle tests on children, mm-hmm. drug hair follicle tests. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what? You know, yeah, four-year-old kids test positive for drugs all the time in Jackson, Madison County. So yeah. that's a whole nother podcast that we can <laughs> talk about. Um, but um, so Miss Pat went to go visit these foster kids in the foster home, and she called me when she was driving back. Now, another thing that you need to know is that we serve children who are at the in the court jurisdiction of the Madison County Juvenile Court. Mm-hmm. But because of the foster care system and the way that it works, there's not always an available foster home within our county. So these three children, when they were removed from their parents, they were placed in a foster home two counties over, mm-hmm. like at the river, at, at the Tennessee River. Wow. Miss Pat drove over an hour to go visit these children in their foster home. She called me on the way back, and Miss um, Pat was like, uh-uh, nope, this ain't working. Mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean, Miss Pat? She said, that foster home's not appropriate. And so I said, well, the case is coming back to court, you know, in a week or two. Just make sure you document everything, put it in your report. And so, um, sure enough, there were some things that happened that resulted in those children being removed from that foster home. In the meantime, the mother gives birth to two more children, twins, Mm -hmm. again, boy-girl twins this time. They're placed in another foster home. So, Miss Pat, we get appointed to that case, Miss Pat. And so, this is all like in a six-month period. I'm Mm -hmm. making this story sound like it's happened overnight, but but it did not. Yeah. Um, And that's another thing that that frustrates people about the juvenile court system and the DCS being involved is things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Like, and people call me all the time, well, Mike and my neighbor's using drugs and I called, you know, the sheriff and the sheriff told me to call DCS and yeah, you know, we may not hear a thing about that for three more months mm-hmm. because that's just the system. And guess what? It's broken and it sucks. And that's a whole nother podcast episode too. <laughs> like, but you know, I feel like, but the work that we do at CASA is just a little bit of trying to fix that brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, because we just talk really loud about what we think needs to mm-hmm. happen. And so Miss Pat got a, we got appointed to the twins mm-hmm. because the twins were actually removed from the parents at the hospital. The mother tested positive for drugs at the hospital. And so um, the children were removed, placed in foster care. Miss Pat went to go see them. And she went to go see them periodically. And she realized these babies were not developing the way that they needed to. And so mm-hmm. continually, this case is coming back to court. We're still reporting on what we see when Miss Pat goes to visit the home. And um, a lot of time passes and the parents just are not, they're not resolving their criminal issues. They're not resolving their drug issues. <clears throat> there was a whole bunch of other mess that happened that I really can't talk about. But um, basically what happened was is the two younger ones, the, the baby twins, that's what I call them, the mm-hmm. baby twins. The baby twins ended up being removed from the foster home they were in because of observations once again that Miss Pat made. She realized the children were not in an appropriate environment. They were basically just put in a playpen all day and weren't talked to or played with or anything. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Placed in the home as um, Brian and Amanda Larson Wells, and um, they had just actually finished their PATH training, which is the training that foster parents go through in order to be foster parents. And so, they got a call. Um, and I, the really cool thing is, is that I go to church with Brian and Amanda, mm-hmm. and so um, they called and said, "We're getting some kids tonight, boy-girl twins." And sure enough, 
Um, the twins were placed with them, and they asked the DCS worker. The DCS, the DCS worker said, "Well, you're just going to be at rest at home. Um, we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's going to be happening with these kids." And so Brian and Amanda thought, "Well, they'll just be here like through the weekend, or maybe two weeks at the most, whatever." Well, sixty days pass, ninety days pass, and Brian and Amanda have fallen in love with these children, mm-hmm. and our entire church family has fallen in love with these children. And anybody who met these children had fallen in love with them. And the weird thing is, is that if you look at these babies and you look at Ryan and Amanda, they look like they could be their children. It's just one of those beautiful pictures of, Mm -hmm. um, I think, the gospel. But that's another story for another day. But um, so Ryan and Amanda start talking to the DCS worker about, you know, what's going on with the case and Mm -hmm. what about these other three children um, and they actually had been having visits between the younger two twins and the older three children. Um, and Brian and Amanda had kind of developed a rapport with the older kids. And so they said, hey, we, we want them all. Because DCS was like, well, if you're going to adopt these twins, you have to be open to adopting the older three kids because they're siblings and we don't want to separate them. And they were like, sure. So literally... In a year's time, Brian and Amanda went from having zero children to having two to having five. Mm-hmm. Now, I have four kids of my own. Yeah. But it was a process. Like, it was a <laughs> slow, you know, and we did get a two for one deal when the twins were born, but still, it was yeah. a process. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. These babies, this is, I mean, so all of that went about um, in um, December, I think, of last year. Um, the parents' rights, the first setting of the parental rights termination started, and it's a process, and it's very mm-hmm. frustrating because you're like, these babies are living in this home that's their home. Like, we know what this is supposed to be, and um, there was some stuff that happened that DCS was not anything against DCS. Like I said earlier, like, they have to follow policy yeah. and protocol, and we could say, you know what? We know your policy and protocol, but we know that this is what's best for the children. Mm-hmm. And so we fought hard and we called supervisors and we stood up in court and we told Judge Little, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that these five children needed to live with Brown and Amanda. And so in April, uh, well, in, in early 2015, the parental rights were terminated. And then in April, um, in Chancellor Butler's court, and I got to be there, and Miss Pat was there. Um, basically, our entire church family was there. All mm-hmm. of Brian and Amanda's family was there. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and we stood there, and Brian and Amanda officially, legally became mm-hmm. the parents of these kids. And um, that is why we do what we do. Yeah, because that would not have happened. No. Oh, my gosh. No, 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 no. It would have never happened. Because honestly, Kevin, I think, I don't want to say, I don't want to be negative, Nellie, about it. But I honestly think that if Miss Pat had not gone to that first visit to Mm -hmm. that first foster home and had called me on the way back and said, absolutely not. If CASA had not been involved with these children, they would still be lingering in random foster homes. Mm -hmm. And they would not have a, a family. Like, yeah. um, and, like, honestly, Miss Pat Patrick, their CASA volunteer, changed the course of these five children's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, on that note, Shannon, if someone hears that and it stirred their heart, which if it didn't, you might need to go to the doctor. <clears throat> yeah. What, uh, how can someone uh, support CASA, get involved, learn more? Well, it's really, really easy. 
you call me and we talk about it. Um, and you can, or send me an email, very easy, Shannon at MadisonCountyCasa.org. Um, we have a really, really nice new website um, that actually Kevin did for us. It's really great. If you need somebody to do your website, uh, I recommend Kevin. <laughs> That's not the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> no, but I'm going to say that because it's really amazing. Um, but you can find out more about us at MadisonCountyCasa.org. Mm-hmm. You can call our office, 427-5554. I will tell you that I'm not the kind of person that sits chained to my desk, so you're probably better off to send me an email. Yeah. Um, and we will have a volunteer training coming up probably in January. Yeah. What um, kind of requirements is it? It's, a, it's National CASA requires us to do 30, again, I'm doing air quotes, 30 hours of training. Mm-hmm. That training includes some courtroom observation and mm-hmm. spending one-on-one time with the staff and just talking about being a CASA volunteer. But it's typically like four or five evenings of training, two to three hour sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basic just this is what we do. This is how we do it. Um, and we hold your hand. I mean, we, we hold your hand. We're not going to send you into a home by yourself for the first time. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget the first CASA visit I went on. I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some people who don't want to go certain places in this city by themselves. And, you know, there, there are places that I don't go by myself. Um, and so we will... CASA staff will go with you. We'll pair you with another seasoned volunteer. Um, but it's, the work is hard. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make it sound like, oh, if you want some easy volunteer hours or, you know, mm-hmm. if, you're, if your employer makes you do so many volunteer hours a year. Yeah. We may not be the program for you if you're just looking to check something off your list. Um, I tell people all the time, we were talking earlier about, volunteer work you might just go do physical labor for a day or two this is actual get your hands dirty get involved in people's lives in the messiness of people's lives Mm -hmm. um i lay awake at night and think about the families that we work with dayton and i had a conversation with a mother today in our office right before i came here who she's in she's in distress and uh, we kind of had to talk her down off a ledge Mm -hmm. that's you know casa volunteers do I mean, if you think about it, the cases that we get, judge gives us the the worst cases, the hardest cases, the cases where, and I've heard her tell people this before, she assigns CASA to cases where she needs an extra set of eyes and an extra set of ears. And so we're not involved in the the cut and dry cases. We're involved in the cases that are difficult, that are long. Mm -hmm. We have cases that have been open for two years that we've been working on trying to find permanency for children. Um, so it's not easy work, but I can tell you that it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if someone doesn't have 15 hours a month to get involved in that way, what is, what is, uh, what is the cost to provide costs for people? Oh gosh, we did the math on that. Um, it's like $800 a year, $900 a year for for one child to have one CASA, um, it's not very expensive. Um, and it's, um, you know, we, we have a staff of two. We're both part-time staff. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a team of about 25 volunteers. We have 10 board members that that, that give their time as well. Um, but we, we do the work that we do, and we'll advocate for over 100 kids this year mm-hmm. um, with about 76 thousand dollars i mean so roughly about eight hundred dollars a year for one child to have a casa yeah um 
that's not a whole lot of money, Kevin. It's really not. And um, I can tell you that the Larson Wells children appreciate the investment Mm -hmm. that people who who came before me made in this program Mm -hmm. to make it even possible for them to have an advocate in court. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and we actually did a video of the Larson Wells, and you can find that on our the Facebook page, uh, Facebook Madison County Casa, not Casa Madison County. No, they're in Alabama. in Alabama. <laughs> Madison County Casa or on the website, madisoncountycasa.org. Shannon, thank you so much for no, coming on. No, thank you. On. And I could have talked forever. So please let me come back on the podcast again <laughs> and just talk about random stuff. We might just have to have... Uh, uh, Kevin and Shannon podcast because I could talk about it can be like an odd couple podcast yes so I could talk about I'm an expert on lots of things <laughs> I could talk about bourbon I could talk about UK basketball yeah um, and I can't talk about either of those things yeah so you know we it would be it would be a fascinating <laughs> podcast it would just uh, be me talking about them and you shaking your head mm-hmm. which doesn't come well go across well on on radio uh Shannon, thank you so much. Uh, From our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson home. Today's episode was hosted, recorded, and edited by Kevin Adelsberger. It was recorded live at The Co. And to find out more about our Jackson home, visit rjacksonhome.com.